verse 11. This is called the parable of the lost son. If you have an NIV Bible, it's got headings, right, for different parts of paragraphs. It says, Jesus continues. He says, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had. He set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. He blew it all. Blew it all in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Not cool for a Jewish kid. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. He's literally sitting there looking at muddy corn husks thinking, mmm, wow. When he came to his senses, King James Version that I memorized as a kid, it says when he came to himself. Love that. He said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death, comes up with a plan. I will set out and go back to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, number one. Sinned against you, number two. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, number three. Make me like one of your hired men, point four. So he got up, and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. End of story. No. That's usually where we finish preaching, but not today. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and and dancing. So he called one of the servants and he asked him what was going on. Your brother has come back, he replied. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry. And he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. His father pleads with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Father says, my son. You're always with me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now, we take these messages on Sunday, whoever preaches them, and we upload them. Christway.net or Podbean, the podcast. You can listen to these. And Kelsey gets that job more than most, Uh, like probably, you know, nine out of ten. Kelsey may do those. Kelsey has come to know that I am terrible with titles. And she will say, title for the message today? Mm, pick something. <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't know. I'm terrible with them. Preaching for 30 years, I should probably be better than I am. 
But today I'm going to make up for it. I have three titles for today. <laughs> One step forward, two steps back. Lost sons and loving fathers. Sons and slaves. I'm going to preach every one of them. That was a nervous laugh. (laughs) I need a set of groundwork and a context for us. Shame is when failure becomes identity. Salvation and freedom aren't the same. Failure and shame aren't the same. Shame is when failure becomes my identity. I look into the mirror and that's what I see. I see failure. Failure is about what you do. Shame is about who you are. Those are different. Significantly different. And salvation Freedom, redemption, salvation, that blue banner, these are the goals. These are the goals of our church because these are God's goals in Exodus 6, and I still think they're his goals, so that's still what we're trying to do. And salvation is one of those. Salvation is about righteousness. Salvation is about righteousness. By grace you are saved through faith. That not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone boast. Salvation is from faith. And when we put faith in who Jesus is, it is counted to us as righteousness. But righteous means innocent. Righteous does not mean good. To be made righteous doesn't mean I'm good now. When we baptize someone and we say old things passed away, all things become new. Woo! Magic water, all new. I shall not be doing, saying, or going to any of the previous places that I shouldn't have been doing, saying, or going. Except we know that we do. Which causes us to pause and look at something for a second. What does that actually mean? And when you look at that passage in Corinthians, where it says old things passed away, all things become new. It talks about how we used to see Jesus. How we used to see salvation. How we used to see things. And now, we used to see them that way, but now we see them differently. It's a vision. You see it, you see it differently. I need you to see righteousness differently today. Righteous, being made righteous, doesn't mean that you're made good. Righteousness means innocence. And the opposite of innocence We talked about this just a couple of weeks ago out of Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve ate and hid and covered and all that, they were naked and not ashamed. And then as soon as they disobeyed, they felt shame. So the opposite of innocence is shame. Condemnation. You ever feel any condemnation? People screw this up. They screw up judgment and condemnation. Those aren't the same either. This is the sermon of all the things that aren't the same. (laughs) Judgment and condemnation aren't the same. Judgment is, hey, I think that jacket looks good with those shoes. Or, I think someone else should have dressed you today. Something like that. That's just a judgment. That's a judgment. 
You think this carpet matches that paint. You like that. You prefer Baskin-Robbins over Dairy Queen. Whatever. That's a judgment. Condemning is when we act like we're not capable of it. Then there's some hierarchy involved. That's condemning. Acting as if I am incapable of whatever you're doing. And we could feel that about ourselves. Someone can impose that on us. That's condemnation. We think judgment ticks us off, but it's really condemnation that ticks us off. I want people to judge me. I'm the person that if I have lettuce hanging off my lip at the restaurant, would you tell me? Tell me. I'm not going to go, oh, my God, I've been eating for 54 years, and I still can't eat, and I feel such shame. No. I'm going to go, thank you so much. I might even go, thank you so much. Right? Failure is one thing. Shame is another. Failure is about what I do. Shame is about who I am, and it's how I see myself. And this idea of self-directed shame and condemnation, that's all the same. When I look in the mirror and I feel such shame, because what I've done has become my identity. There's no place for that around here, friend. If I have one purpose in life, I will give myself to, I do several things, but if I have one purpose in my life, and I mean this, one purpose, it is to rid the church of shame. I'm on a crusade and have been for years. I will spill blood for that cause, to rid the church of shame. Andy, that must mean you think there's shame in the church. Oh, you're right. I do. Paul had to tell us there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Do you know why he had to tell us that? Because we needed to hear it. He told us that because we needed to hear. There is no condemnation to them who are in Christ. Paul, who just went on a rant about, oh, wretched man that I am, the things I want to do, I can't do, and all that. Anybody? This is a scary time to say amen right now, isn't it? It's a scary, very scary time. Like, I don't know if I should say that. Yeah, let go of the shame. One step forward, two steps back. Have you ever felt that about yourself? One step forward, two steps back. How are things going? You making progress? Oh, I don't know. It's one step forward, two steps back. The net gain on that is negative. <laughs> okay, right? One step forward, two steps back. One step forward, two steps back. One step forward, you know. We're not moving ahead. And we can look at the trajectory of our life when it's one step forward, two steps back, and feel great shame. I love this about baseball. I love that you can fail seven out of ten times. Seven out of ten times. Funny Emma story. She had a, a, a test grade of some math or something. I don't remember what it was, some, some test grade. And it was, it was in, let's just say it might have been near that 30% mark. And so she had a pretty low score on a test. This is in high school, pretty low score on a test. And so I asked her next time, I said, hey, second test, how'd you do? And she said, I did better, which is not an answer. <laughs> better than 30? Okay. <laughs> right? right? 39, 40, I did 46. 
is still an F. <laughs> I love baseball. You can fail seven out of ten times. I was a lefty. I played baseball. I was lefty. Strike out. Okay, ground ball to short, threw out at first. Fail seven out of ten times, and you know where I'll be? I will be immortalized in the Hall of Fame. The average batting average, the average batting average of Hall of Fame baseball players is 303. That means three out of 10 successes. Three successes out of 10, which means seven failures out of 10. Seven out of 10 failures. There are some people in the Hall of Fame that have a one in four, 25%. They don't even have 30%. 25% batting average, and they're in the Hall of Fame. That is awesome. I wish we could put that on our own life a little bit. Because if we don't succeed more than 7 out of 10, 7 out of 10 in our world is average. 70, that's a C minus, right? Maybe we need to reconstruct. That whole idea about one step forward, two steps back is still one step forward. You're still in the game. A bruised reed, he will not break. A smoking flax, he will not quench. You think you're a down and outer? He's like, forget it. I live for that. I live for the slightest heartbeat. And Jesus doesn't even need a heartbeat. He can walk into a Lazarus and say, life. Got to show up. Just keep showing up. When I read through Luke 15, did you catch verse 21? Did you catch that? Would you throw up verse 21 for me? Can you do that? It's uh, 1521. I don't know if you caught that, the idea of this, this next title, Lost Sons and Loving Fathers, right? Lost Sons and, and Loving Fathers, and who's prodigal really? Remember when I outlined what the boy practiced? What he practiced? I've sinned against you, I've sinned against heaven, I'm not worthy to be your son, make me as a servant. Remember I counted that out? I've sinned against you. I've sinned against, sinned against heaven. I'm not worthy to be your son. Make me as a servant. Will you read this and count it with me? This is when he got to his father, right? The son said to him. This wasn't a practice anymore. The son shows up and he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Where's the fourth thing? Where is it? Make me as one of your servants? No, 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 no. Because the next verse, it says, Father interrupted him. Oh, he was planning to say it, as we do. Self-condemnation and shame. We're planning to make ourselves less, and the Father interrupts us. Every time, praise God. Every time. Because you know the first three things are true. I did sin against you. And I did sin against heaven. And frankly, I'm not worthy. That's true also. But to make myself less, you know what the Father says? No, not today. Not you, pal. Not today. You think you're less, but not today. You ready for something else pretty cool? This isn't a CNN report. Jesus made this story up. He made up this story. Meaning it has every point that he wants to make. He made this point of you can say I've sinned and you can say you're not worthy and frankly that's all true which makes me celebrate his grace and redemption even more. 
But to make myself less, the boy never got it out of his mouth. You know why? Because dad was like, quick, quick, shoes, rings, robes, kisses. I want to be that kind of person, just literally that kind of parent. When my kids screw up royally, I want to be smothering them with kisses so they can't even say that junk that they want to say. We think it's just the felon or the druggie or the serial adulterer, but it's not. Dana, would you come up here? I'd, I'd like you to share this. I've asked Dana to share something with you. Last week, we talked about the folks that Jesus picked out in the crowd, right? The successful one? No, not him. The successful one over there? No, no, no. But it is. Dana shared this story with me. You can stand there or come up here, whatever you want to do. Thank you. I got a text from Andy. I'm about to change my phone number, man. <laughs> I'll have to come to your um, house. So my name is Dana. I have the honor of serving others at a ministry called Next Step. And I also, um, because we're out of space, get the honor of sharing an office with this guy. And we talk. He's my pastor. Um, and we talk about different things while we're in the office. So I told him the story. And then he texted me and said, would you tell that story to the congregation? I'm like, okay, I guess so. Um, I was telling him the story of a, of a transformational moment in my life where <clears throat> I had gone into therapy, I had spent 20 years in the software industry, climbed the ladder, became a CEO, raised all this money in venture capital, um, and I was empty. And I was driven by performance, driven by workaholism, driven by you know, getting the people pleasing. So I went to a psychologist when I hit my low of my low, and I didn't know at the time she was a Christian psychologist, I was not a Christian, and isn't it interesting God would bring me that woman? And so, saw her for years. I went to therapy for years, trying to untangle what was inside and why I acted out, where my depression came from, where my codependency came from, where my workaholism came from, where my striving and my needing. And so we untangled all my childhood and abuse and neglect and went through all of those stories. Years into this journey, years into this journey, I came in one day and I sat across from her and she said to me, Dana, it's time for me to tell you that you have a secret that I know about. And I went, told this woman everything. I'm going through, what, what secrets could she know that I haven't told her? And she leaned forward and she said, this secret runs through your soul like a thread. It's all throughout your soul. And I need you to know, we've come to the point where I need you to know I know your secret. And I said, she goes, do you want to know what it is? <laughs> Which of my secrets does she know? I said, sure. So she leaned forward and she whispered, this thread says, there's something wrong with me. You try to work really hard so no one knows that secret. But in your soul, in the depth of your soul, you believe that. You believe that there's something wrong with you. And I need you to know, I know that. Because that's where we're going to go. And we're going to talk about it. And it was literally a transformational day for me. Someone knows. Someone sees. That my belief is, there's something wrong with me. And as I've grown and as I've healed, you know what I found out? It wasn't a secret. We all have that. We share that secret. 
That's what I've learned in serving other people. That thread wasn't just me. That thread is in a lot of us. And the good news is God wants to heal it. And she got to see me come to Christ, right? This Christian, former campus crusader, psychologist. Um, God put her in my life to give me scripture, to give me freedom uh, from that shame. So that's the story. Thank you. Thank you. It's the juxtaposition of I'm made just right and I am broken. It's all of that on the table. It's that, yes, I am a hot mess. Yes. <laughs> yes, I get in my own way. It's Paul in Revelation, uh, Romans 7, what I just mentioned. Oh, wretched man that I am. Urgh, you know that whole thing? Yes. And just right. Son, daughter, loved, valued, cared for. All of it together. He does not shun it. He doesn't shun it. Makes me angry, changes my face, my eyes do different things when I think about how people believe that sin separates us from God. Makes me mad, makes me angry. Like I'm going to do something bigger than his love for me. I'm going to do something in my silly self that's going to be bigger than the expanse of his love, the breadth, the depth, the width that we heard about from Ephesians. It's going to be bigger than that. It's going to handcuff him. I just don't think anything you've ever done can handcuff him. That's not the God I'm interested in serving. It's not the one I serve. And I have data to prove it. <laughs> because in my most broken places, he comes to me. doesn't have to be a secret. It only has power when it is a secret. That's why she told you that. It only has power when it is a secret. It's the stuff in the dark. We bring it into the light. We're not afraid, and we're not ashamed. When I was reading through here again, Luke 15, did you notice verse 29? Would you throw up verse 29 for me? He says, look. All these years I've been, what? What? Which brother is that? Which brother's living like a slave? The younger brother that squandered everything, wasted it all, came back and said, I'd be better off as a slave. Well, maybe he should have asked his older brother because his older brother had been living like a slave for a long time. Living like a slave. In the father's house. This story, I mentioned earlier, we stop with the younger son and hallelujah and, you know, Jesus saves sinners and all of that. I got it. But I stopped and I said, this story is not over today. We don't quit reading there today because the context is seen in verse 1. Jesus' audience, they were the piously religious Yes, there were tax collectors and sinners in that crowd, but there were also Pharisees in that crowd. And that's why the story doesn't end with the younger brother. And I said it earlier, if you have an NIV and you look at the heading, it says the parable of the lost son. My question today is which boy are we talking about? The one that was in the father's house, just like we are today. Living with a slave mentality. 
living with the idea that I have done X expectation and it's offense. I have done everything for you, and what did you do for me? He says, nothing. I want us to go before we close. I want to go to Luke 19, just a couple, just a couple pages over. Luke 19, verse 10, it'll be on the screen for you. This is at the house of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Tax collectors were usually Jewish men taking taxes from Jewish people on behalf of the Roman government. They weren't your favorite person in town. They were ostracized. It says Jesus says to him, he says to Zacchaeus, He says to Zacchaeus, he says to the Jewish tax collector that wanted to see Jesus and climbed up in the sycamore tree and saw him. And Jesus said, come down. And he came to his house and he's about to go in and eat lunch with Zacchaeus. And he looks back to the crowd. And this is what he says from the front porch of Zacchaeus' house. They're right at the doorway. He's about to go in and eat lunch. He turns around and looks at this crowd and he says, today, salvation has come to this house because this man, too, tax collector, (laughs) the one that made the choice to get rich on our poverty, that guy, is a what? Is a what? A son. He's a son. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Even those in the Father's house. Look at verse 10. Seek and save the lost. Even those in the Father's house. Zacchaeus was a lost son too. So I think the title that I'm going to go with today is Lost in the Father's House. Lost in the Father's House. If you've been saved but you're not feeling free. If you're all over, when did you get saved? April 14th, 1972. Okay, fine. But if you're not feeling free, if there's shame, if there's condemnation, then we have to go back to that salvation moment. We have to go back to that. I'm going to invite you today to go back to that moment of saving faith and ask yourself a question. Because the product of our faith moment isn't heaven. It's not about missing hell and making heaven. That is not the point. That is not the point of that moment. The point is for me to be in connection with Jesus the Savior. The point is for me to live in actual innocence. My favorite verse in the Bible is in Romans 8, 33. I think when I quote it to you, you're going to get it. You're going to know why. It asks this question, who shall bring a charge against those whom God has chosen because it is God who justifies. You know what justified means? Justified means to be innocent. You know, you can't bring a charge against me because he says I'm innocent, but you know who else can't bring a charge against me? Me. I can't bring a charge against you because he says you're innocent. But you know who else can't bring a charge against you? You. And you don't have to live as Dana did all those years. 
as we all have since Adam and Eve hid and covered up. You'd be like, wow, Dana, that's pretty messed up. It goes all the way back to the beginning. It is a human thing. And you do not have to live like that. You do not have to be lost in the Father's house. You do not have to be lost in the Father's house. Don't have to be. I'm saved. Are you free? Because if you're not feeling free, then I'm going to ask you what the product of that salvation moment is for you. Because it's supposed to be that he made me innocent. And I can stand before him in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Cue some prayer music for me, will you, Brother Arnick? I'm going to close out today. You got this salvation banner over here, right? The blue one. Intentionally choreographed with the blue one over here. Salvation, make heaven. That is not what that says. Maybe in some churches, but not here. Salvation, miss hell. That's not there either. Our goal is not about getting a ticket punched to somewhere else. Our goal is about the potential and opportunity to have connection with Jesus. Not like the older brother. I would never ask you to raise your hand, but I would ask you to raise it in your heart. Anybody been living like a slave? in the Father's house. Would anybody say, I have been slaving for years to earn your affection, to earn a fatted calf, to earn a goat, to earn a ministry, to earn a position, to earn a sense of self-worth. I have been slaving for years. If you feel like it's uncommon, it's not. And you do not have to live like that anymore. The father looks at that older brother and he says, bro, we have been together every day. But when we have a mentality, something other than what this banner says, the wind is connected to Jesus. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. He that comes to God must know that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So do you know what you get in that equation? Do you know the reward that you get when you diligently seek him? Him. Not diligently seek from him. Diligently seek him. How life-giving. How gospel-feeling. How refreshing. The problem with salvation is that it's so simple, frankly, easy. 
And I say this, for those of you that need it harder, kick over to discipleship. That'll cost you everything. Discipleship costs you everything. Salvation, connection to our Father. So I want you in just these moments right here. Jeremy's going to come up in just a second and close us out today. I'm asking you to be super honest of all places. Be honest in here. Let the Spirit talk to you right now, right now. And again, there's like, you could, you could like, oh my God, I've been living like a slave forever. And you know what you're going to feel? Shame. <laughs> That's not the point. It wasn't the point to like, oh my God, I've been living like a slave for years with all these expectations and now I feel shame. No. No, 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 no. Forgive yourself and let yourself be loved today. Because, yeah, you're a mess. Dana was a mess. I'm a mess. She didn't tell you about the, 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 a banner that caught her attention one day. Funniest thing, she's sitting doing some work, and there was a Christian conference right before she did all this stuff for her, her stuff. And it looked over and it said, God, don't make junk. Is that right? Of all things, to strike her at the heart, God, don't make junk. I hope God's striking you at the heart today for freedom. Like a bump to say, hey, you don't have to live like that. Let's pray all over the place. We, we pray. Maybe you've already been praying, I hope. Already been thinking and praying. I don't care to be lost in the Father's house. And when I say that, I'm not like, man, I'm going to hell. That is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being lost right now. Lost right now. And recognizing that I can walk in and feel the freshness. Feel the joy, feel the peace of God. Peace of God that he died to give me. And if you're the person that squandered it all, welcome. If you're the person that's Johnny Christian, welcome. That's what I love about the diversity of this church. And that has been a prayer that I have prayed from minute one. Is that this group of diverse people can be in here and all of us in our story. Let the love of God just simply flow among us. Flow among us. So maybe it's your faith moment where you're like, okay, I thought it was something else. I had my eyes on something else. But today, it's just connected to Jesus. I believe in who you are. I believe how you love me. And I say yes to that. That's my salvation moment. I believe in who you are and how you love me. And I say yes. And I believe that in that yes, we will begin to walk together without shame. My identity becomes Jesus' righteousness. It's his righteousness. That's my identity. His innocence, his love, his spirit. His word. Let's just take a moment to pray together. Jeremy, you can come up. Lord, we are thankful. Thankful, thankful, thankful for you. Thank you for calling us. I get the down and outer. We got it. But those of us, there were two brothers in that house. Two brothers. One thought he'd be a slave and the other one already was. Already was. Help us live above slavery. Help us live in spaces of freedom. Praise your name, Jesus. Thank you for righteousness. Thank you for innocence. 
Thank you for healing. Thank you for your love that transcends, fills us, covers us. Thank you for it. Thank you for it. Thank you for letting us believe. Thank you for giving us hope. Bruised reed, you don't break. Smoking flax, you don't quench. Nobody in here is junk. None of us. None of us. And you love us if we never find our purpose. You love us because you love us. We love you. no coincidence with all the baseball references that I'm up here closing us out today, right? Um, for those of you that don't know, I played baseball for a long time. It was a big part of my life, and um, I don't often like to open the yearbook into my career, but I'm going to today, all right? Um, so just to tell you a little background of, of where I was at, um, 2017, I was at pinnacle of my career. Right? I was in AAA in Columbus, Ohio, and felt like I was right where I needed to be to get my opportunity to get to the next level. And uh, come to find out, uh, didn't go the way I planned. I spent a lot of time, as I lovingly put it, riding the pine. Spent a lot of time on the bench. And uh, as I sat in that space, you know, I was just like, just give me an opportunity, give me an opportunity, give me an opportunity. And as I walk with God now, I can see, look back and see you know, why this is relevant to my life, but um, that opportunity came a little bit differently than I expected. Uh, we were in the like 15th inning in Louisville, Kentucky, where, you know, and at that point, if you know baseball, right, you run out of pitching, there's nobody left to go in, right, and most of the time, what most people don't know is that person that does go in that just is kind of, you know, at that point in the game, you run out of pitching, know and um, you're just kind of lobbing it. The, the guy that means the most on means the least on the roster usually gets in the game to go pitch and uh, so I'm sitting on the bench and I knew we were out of pitching because I was the guy I was the catcher you know sitting on the bench going to warm up all the guys that had already gone in and so manager looks down the dugout and and says hey Lucas go get warmed up and I was a catcher my whole life never pitched all right, and I'm in AAA, the you know the step before the big leagues, and they're saying, "Hey, Lucas, you know, go warm up. You're going into pitch." And so, you know, I look down the dugout and say, "Did did we call up another Lucas, or you know, who?" who? And he said, "No, you, you know, you're all we got." And so, whew, okay, here's my opportunity. Right? Didn't it didn't look the way I planned it to. Um, and so I go, I go down, warm up. You know, the fans are making fun of me. You know, I've never pitched before, and and you know, it, it's just such something that's just so foreign to me. And I'm running out on the field and about to go pitch, right? And my manager comes up and he says, "Hey, listen, just no strikes. Don't hurt yourself, okay? Because I'm the guy that you know, if I get line drived in the chest, you know, well, he wasn't gonna play anyways. He'll he'll be okay." Um, so I actually got that opportunity that night, and, and I can tell you more about it later. Um, but I threw two innings and actually got the win. Um, funny how it all works out, right? Um, and then continued to get that opportunity, whether we were down 20 runs or it was the 16th inning again. 
right? But what I started to notice what would happen is once that 13th inning rolled around, I was like, my ears perked up. I'm like, is it my time again? You know? Or if we were down 10 runs, I'm like starting to warm up my arm, you know? Um, so something I prepared my whole life to do, right, was to be a catcher. And at the peak of my career, you know, where I thought I would get that opportunity, I didn't. But I did get one. Maybe I wasn't prepared for it. Um, but I said yes to it. And comparing that to my walk now, I spent a lot of time as a Christian kind of sitting on the bench. You know? And um, I asked God for an opportunity. All I had to do was say yes, right? God doesn't, when he calls us into things, what I found walking with the Lord, he doesn't call your preparedness, your resume, all the things you've done all your life to maybe prepare for it. He's calling you. He's calling the way you communicate with people, the way you love people. Um, there's no prerequisites for it. Um, so... I say all that to, to ask you, what's God, God calling you into today? Because you may not feel prepared. You may, you may try to self-select yourself out, but He's um, calling you for a reason. He's not sending out a mass text, you know. That's the beauty of His plan, right? We may not see the reason why, you know, we're being called into that moment, but it's you for a reason, so... I just pray today that God gives us the strength to say yes, strengthens our faith, just helps us kind of get ourselves out of the way. Let's pray. God, thank you for who you are, Lord. Thank you for this place, these people. Lord, I pray that the things we feel in our heart today, Lord, if you're calling us into something greater, or Lord, maybe you're calling us back, Lord, like the father and the prodigal son, Lord. You're just calling us back to you. Lord, I pray that we can be bold enough to say yes, whatever that means, Lord. That we don't examine ourselves to make sure that we're ready or to make sure that we've had a good enough week to be in your presence, Lord, but we wouldn't feel shame and guilt, Lord, that we would be bold and strong, Lord, to step into those moments, whether we know what's going to happen or not, Lord. But we trust you. We trust that you've called us there for a reason, Lord. And I just ask as a congregation and as individuals today that we would trust you. We love you. Amen.